0: I'm Scott. I'm Bill. And, and we're The, the Trade, trade Guys. Guys. You're listening to The Trade Guys, a podcast produced by CSIS, where we talk about trade in terms that everyone can understand. I'm H. Andrew Schwartz, and I'm here with Scott Miller and Bill Reinch, the CSIS Trade Guys. In this episode, we'll kick it off with some good news and what silver linings have come out of the COVID-19 crisis. Next, we'll dive into a debate about automation. Plus, some inevitable bad news from the WTO and the IMF. You'll hear all of that and much more on this episode of The Trade Guys. Trade Guys, we are all sequestered, still at home, still in the Bethesda, Maryland vicinity. And um, I wanted to start this out with something a little bit positive because, you know, it's been really heavy. So, guys, what are you seeing out
1: there in the trade world that you see positive? Well, look, what amazes me is the extent of worldwide scientific and medical collaboration. Now, that, that sounds strange, but the essence of trade is free exchange between parties who both benefit and you basically take down the borders and you, you don't care where that commercial transaction happens. There's a lot of transactions happening right now in medical research. Uh, well, we, we started out a few months back, however long that ago that was, with an entirely novel uh, infectious disease, something nobody in the world had ever seen before. Uh, on day 10 or so, we had identified the genomic sequence of this virus. And ever since then, there have been a massive amount of medical collaboration. Testing has gone from basically non-existent to uh, within five minutes, and, and it's getting closer to, to instantaneous. It's now delivered, rather than delivered in, in major hospitals, It's testing can be had uh, at point of care in local doctor's office or, uh, or minute clinics. So there's just been an amazing, astonishing advance, and that took collaboration by people all over the globe same thing is happening in in the way we treat this virus how we're handling patients there's an amazing amount of things going on all the way to voluntary organizations getting involved believe it or not the largest uh, antibody test for of the the total, t- total population effects of this virus is going right now on right now in major league baseball major league baseball from uh, from the highest paid pitcher or owner to the hot dog salesperson has about 10,000 employees. They're all part of this antibody test. And what what a test that would have taken three or four months uh, is going to be reported this weekend. And so we'll have, for for the first time, a real idea of the extent of uh, this virus's spread uh, throughout the community. So that kind of collaboration only happens when you have free people able to make free exchange. And so the underlying motives are positive, and I think we're going to all get better a lot faster because of this. Does it mean we're getting closer to baseball season? I think it does. I think it does.
2: Oh man! I have to say, this reminds me of that old joke about the little girl who walks into the uh, the room filled with horse manure and gets really excited. And somebody says, "What are you so happy about?" She says, "Well, with all this manure, there must be a pony in here somewhere." Um, <laughs> and yeah, Scott, you found the pony. <laughs>
1: Uh, yes, uh, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm pretty good at that over, time, over the, 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 the span of my life. Yeah. Guess, hey, so. If we
0: can find a baseball game that's not from 1978 on TV, I'll be really happy. <laughs> yeah, I
1: think you, you share that view with the president. He talked about, I'm tired of watching games that happened 14 years ago. Yeah.
2: Oh,
0: man.
2: <laughs> I would go walk, back and watch the 1960 World Series. That was a classic.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's good to watch classics when you have the real thing happening. I'll settle if we can have football season. And, yes. You know,
1: well, look for me at this point. The first sport that figures out how to how to stage real games uh, for a televised audience wins. Oh, it'll yeah. be
2: it'll be golf. Well, no uh, you may be it. right,
1: Bill, but and that'll help. You can actually go play the Masters. Well,
2: okay. maybe golf without audience, but uh, yes. you know, if there's any if there's any sport that exemplifies social
1: distancing, it's golf. Right. Uh, but, uh, baseball, it looks like they're trying to get there, but, uh, whoever gets there first is I think a huge winner in all this. I would not bet
0: against the NFL. I'll tell you that, um, yeah. whether they play in front of fans or not, um, I'm feeling the NFL is going to happen. I don't see how college football season doesn't happen, um, because universities are going to go bankrupt without college football and, but we'll have to see what happens with the disease. Yes.
2: Andrew, if, if the line has to line up six feet apart, you know, I,
1: I despair for the offense.
0: Well, it'd be a lot better for my son because nobody will be able to rush him.
1: Uh, yeah, how, do you, in, how, in how, how do you make a tackle uh, with social distancing? I, I just, I don't see how that actually works. <laughs> yeah,
0: my son will never have a pass, you know, anybody roughing the kicker again. So that'll be, that'll be a good thing. Guys, before we move on, Bill, I know this is asking a lot from you, but what do you see positive? Well, I
2: think uh, I would echo the first part of what what Scott said. I think despite a number of of, uh, panic-induced steps in the opposite direction, uh, there does seem to be some fairly grudging global cooperation. Our president has not led the way on that. But I think uh, elsewhere you're seeing it uh, eventually. We have not had a lot of statesmen, including the EU, and we've had countries, particularly there, take some panic-stricken actions of, you know, restrictions, both outbound and inbound. But they're starting to uh, they're starting to remove those. Uh, they're starting to come off. And I think people are starting to figure out that the, the TV commercials that say we're all in this together are really right. And that if you don't have global cooperation, you're just going to delay the recovery and make it more modest. So there are I, I think there are good signs out there. But uh, the number of people who, you know, who didn't
0: get the message is still surprisingly high. Are you guys encouraged by um, our companies, even arch rivals like Google and Apple, working together um, to deal with, you know, technology problems like trying to trace um, who has COVID and who doesn't? Yes, and I think that's a particularly good
2: example because those two are extreme rivals, if you can put it that way. And for them to work together is noteworthy, but, you know, they saw a greater good. And
1: I think you're going to get that from more companies going forward. I agree totally. And look, I am, I am constantly amazed at the ingenuity and the innovation that goes on in American companies. And I think American companies, large and small, have really stepped up here. Uh, the, the small companies are taking the brunt of it because many of them, we chose, to, we chose to put them out of business for a period of time. But at the same time, the level of adaptation is amazing. And it, it's from the, 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 the very smallest business. Like I heard yesterday of a restaurant in Michigan that because it can't really get enough volume uh, in takeout meals is now basically selling groceries. Yeah, Just to serve mini-marts. serve their public, uh, and they're selling the things through the commercial food chain that are out of stock at the retail food chain grocery. So that, that that's, that's sort of micro innovation, but the collaboration. And that's of the a big really companies. interesting
2: point about supply chains because what's happened is revealed this this interesting glitch in supply chains that would never occur occurred to me, and that is that the I guess the the retail food mar, uh, supply chain and the commercial food food supply chain are completely different. And yes. you know restaurants buy in they don 't buy in little packages they buy in bulk uh, and with them shut down you 've got a bunch of people who 've got lots of food, uh, but they 're not packaging it in ways that uh, retail consumers are prepared to buy so I think what the guy you 're talking about is probably doing is he's you know buying his usual stuff and repackaging, which is brilliant yes.
1: no it's it 's a great idea all the way one one my daughter placed an order yesterday for waffle House. Waffle mix, previously unavailable on the market, but because Waffle House has never closed down, and it's a wonderful, wonderful retail food establishment all through the South, uh, everybody should eat a Waffle House once in their lives. And you know, for me, that's that's the closest thing to Southern soul food. It's uh, my wife's favorite. It's, restaurant. It's near the interstate yeah, highway. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it, now you know you're really living if you've got a Waffle House and a Bob Evans at the same interchange. But that's big time. He, he, having said that. Waffle houses are closed.
2: Unfortunately for us, the closest one that I know about is in Frederick.
1: Yes, but now you you can can actually buy online and get online delivery of their waffle mix and make them at home. I'll tell Susan. She'll be very excited.
0: Well, you know, closer to home, you know, here in Bethesda, some of our, you know— Well-known establishments have turned into, restaurants have turned into mini-marts. Like I I heard the other day that Caddies on Cordell, which is a well-known bar in downtown Bethesda, is now has, in addition to, you know, food service and, you know, their alcohol, they have a mini-mart. You can, you know, when you order food or, you know, whatever you order from there, you can also order, you know, convenience stuff. So, you know, entrepreneurial for them.
1: Markets are amazing. Yeah, that's the, terrific.
2: The other thing that some people have started to comment about, which I think is going to prove to be interesting, is, I mean, sort of two aspects of what, what happens when this is over. One question that I've, I've written a little bit about is whether uh, all these people that have been laid off are going to be rehired or whether companies are going to use this as an opportunity to trim payrolls. But the the other side of that coin is uh, a number of people who've been, I get doing interviews and have discovered that there's a lot of Americans that really like working from home and they're right. quite happy doing it.
0: A lot of people happy in their pajamas, get to be more, with their families more um, quieter in their house, can get more accomplished, um, like the Zoom meetings, like the technology. There's, there's a lot of upside for a lot of people. Don't have to travel.
1: Yes, technology is, of course, continuing to improve people's ability to be productive uh, by working from home. And that what started a decade or two ago as telecommuting, uh, which were limited to to some jobs, now there are more jobs and you can do it more efficiently. So I, I think Bill's onto something as something that, that may be a, a a permanent change because one of the things, if you're working from home, your employer doesn't have to rent office space.
0: Well, let me ask you guys about this. There's There's also a sector of people out there who are figuring out ways to make money off this crisis, you know stock people, um, people investors, um, you know people who are using this crisis uh, to figure out ways to make an awful lot of money. Is there any upside in that?
1: Well sure, and there's big downside. Look, this is how markets work. Mar- uh, think of any market as a as a distributed knowledge system. It's a matrix, all right And there's all kinds of levels of risk tolerance and exchange preferences in that matrix. And when markets are in turmoil, as many are now, there's a tremendous amount of turbulence because life went from being reasonably predictable or or, or the, tomorrow went from reasonably being, being reasonably predictable to not very predictable at all. Uh, there's a, there, are wild, there are big swings in prices. So uh, is, is someone looking for a bargain? Of course. Uh, and, and is it because of distressed companies? Most likely that, but that happens all the time. You can see it in normal labor markets. In, in the United States, normally on a, on a typical month, there's about 2 million jobs that are destroyed every month. Fortunately, there are 2.2 million jobs created every month, something in that order of magnitude. But that kind of churn happens all the time in every market. We're just seeing it now. So look, you know, if you're, if you're in the market for, for a cruise line, okay, this may be a wonderful buying opportunity, okay? Will a cruise ship business ever be back? I don't know. Nobody else knows, okay? But if somebody takes takes a bet on that, they could lose or win. And that's that's really what the dynamic of the, of the market does for you is it's a price-finding mechanism. It tells you what things are worth instantaneously.
0: Well, you know, word on the street, though, early on and even, you know, for the really plugged in people was as soon as this crisis started in in Wuhan was the smart money was borrowing as much money as they could at historically low rates so they could purchase as much as they could once things became as distressed as they became. Um, And that's continues to be what seems to be happening.
2: There's uh, two things, if I could intervene here. One, there's been some interesting news in in, in Europe about uh, European governments being concerned about uh, other countries coming in and basically um, buying up uh, European companies at fire sale prices because yeah. they've lost so much value and that these are uh, Saudi companies or Chinese companies, which then raise uh, political issues, uh, issues like we deal with with CFIUS here. Uh, so that's, that's, that's one issue. You're right. You know, the smart money is, uh, is, is, you know, going into the market when you can get things at a bargain. That doesn't always produce, uh, great outcomes either for the, the workers or for the governments. The other thing, uh, which we've, I think, discussed before a little bit is to look at the difference in the way that the U.S. and, and, uh, some European countries, France being a good example, are, are handling the situation. I just was on a, a webinar before this where we, we discussed this in um, a little bit more detail. The U.S. has used the market system and allowed companies to lay everybody off and basically provided you know, economic, financial support direct to individuals through the unemployment system and through the, the checks that the government is is mailing out. Uh, and I think uh, you know, the result may well be, uh, in the end, uh, what Scott said, which is that uh you know, the market will, will get back and people will seize opportunities. And, you know, we, we've always had a more flexible and more agile workforce. The French and others have chosen a different route, which basically they've chosen to, uh, have the government pay companies to keep all their people employed. And the government doesn't pay a hundred percent, but the idea is don't fire anybody. Just keep paying them and we'll cover you. Uh, the result of that is you're not, they're not going to see the spike in unemployment that we're going to see. Uh, Of course, their unemployment rates were higher anyway, Uh, but you may also, uh, you know, and in that sense, you may then also see uh, more people in the end basically getting their jobs back because they never lost them, as opposed to here where you're going to find some people who lost their jobs, never getting them back. Uh, On the other hand, you may have a, uh, a, a less dramatic recovery. Uh, in Europe, a slower recovery and, and one that is, uh, doesn't go back quite to where it was before. It's an interesting difference of approach. And I think, you know, five years from now, economists are going to be writing, comparing and contrasting the two and trying to evaluate which one is the better route. I'm sorry. We didn't have a debate about that in this country because I think there's a lot to be said for the other approach, uh, particularly in, in the kind of crisis we have now where, uh, <coughs> Re- recovery is going to be slow and, and, uh, what's the right word? Random or episodic. Some
1: places are going to move faster than others. Is it going to, is the recovery going to be slow, Scott? Well, it's, it's, it depends when we reopen the economy. Keep in mind, the downturn is entirely caused by decisions of first governments and then individuals to, uh, to take dramatic Changes to, to lifestyle and and on operations in order to fight this this public health crisis. Now, not, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but I'm saying this is this is a government induced recession, perhaps depression. The last time we had one of these that I, that had anything similar to that was in 1981, uh, when uh, the Fed Chairman Paul Volcker took steps to wring inflation out of the economy, which succeeded magnificently, but it created a, a, a downturn because of monetary policy. But that's the only thing that even re- resembles this.
2: The recovery isn't going to be government-induced. That's the problem with it. No. I mean, Trump, no, but tr- Trump, well, at maybe, some, Trump at some point is going to say, okay, everybody go back to work, and, and it's all it's all over with. And first of all, half the country's not going to believe him. Uh, but second, even the, the, the people that might believe him, you know, they're going to make personal decisions about this, and it's not just about going back to work. It's about going to the movies. Uh, yes. You know, it's about, uh, it's about going out to eat. It's about taking that trip to visit your grandmother. Uh, and these are going to be individual decisions. And I guarantee you, uh, some jurisdiction is going to reopen too soon. And there's going to be a second wave. Uh,
0: well, that's, that's and, that's right to,
2: and that's going to restart all the panic and everybody's well, going to pull the, back. The,
0: the key point I think you guys are making is the economy is a lot different than the stock market. They're two oh, yes. totally different
1: things. Yeah, those are very different things. The stock market is basically a, a view of the future more than anything else. It's the discounted earnings uh, looked at uh, of the future future earnings of a company. For that's how individual stock prices get their get their value. Now that's been all over the map, and I would agree with Bill that there'll be a lot of individual consumer decisions that will affect things like travel and tourism. I don't know how many people are going to want to get on an airplane. These, these are all uh, personal risk calibration, uh, but also the government decisions are not a single light switch. There'll be different decisions made by by different states, uh, because most police powers still reside at the state level, and uh, some in some cases municipalities. I'm thinking about my home state of Ohio. At this moment, the cases of, of coronavirus are in the three big metro areas, Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati. There are parts of the state, the part I grew up in which has many more cattle than people, Uh, has been virtually unaffected. So there are a lot of differences even within states. So a a sort of a criteria-based opening system may be different down to the county or or village level uh, in in some ways that are going to be difficult to assess. At the same time, Bill, I think, is right, and I agree with him, that individuals will will have made different risk assessments for their own lives, uh, even absent government intervention.
0: Right. You can bet for sure that in Columbus... They're going to be making a decision about whether to put a hundred thousand people inside the horseshoe yep. this fall, and, yes, because it has tremendous economic implications for the entire, uh, you know, city and metropolitan
1: area, as well as advancing herd immunity, which is, uh, vi- virologists will tell you is a good thing.
2: But but even if they say, <laughs> even if the powers that be say that's okay, go to the game, uh, how many people are not going to do that?
1: Yeah, that's. Just we don't know. That's, the, that's a really caution. interesting question.
0: We don't know. We just don't know. What about automation taking jobs from people? Um, and the, do you think that's going to advance?
1: Well, look. This is this is a moment where you there are, are a whole set of jobs that are very difficult for human beings to do. When you have a you have something that is c- as contagious and as potentially dangerous as this virus. That's why the huge demand for personal protective equipment, which is entirely legitimate, and we've got to protect our healthcare workers in any way we can. And automating some tasks may be a way to do it. Now, I'm generally, I'm pro-robot. And the reason is, I think that we is what sets us apart from other primates is we make tools. Tools have always uh, basically made difficult tasks easier. They've made monotonous tasks disappear entirely and allow people to do things that are more creative. They've made unsafe tasks uh, be able to be handled safely. That's the opportunity here, and I think it's it's being uh, there's there are now 3D printing mechanisms to open doors without touching things like that. So there, there are lots of opportunities for advanced technology here. Uh, in general, uh, there are more people working today than there were a hundred years ago, but there's a lot more m- lot more tools available to workers, and we live a better lifestyle. So in generally, I'm 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 on the pro robot side.
2: And I'm not, uh, or at least, I mean, I, I uh, uh,
1: my, my, <laughs> and anti-robot right here.
2: My education about robots was, was from the Terminator movies. So I have a, a, a different view. I mean, I, I think from a, a short-term point of view, uh, Scott is right. And there's certainly, a, you know, if you're in a, in a, an environment we are in right now where, where human contact is, is going to be limited, getting machines to do the work for you is enormously attractive and it's going to help companies restart and and get back up and running and it's going to help the medical uh, medical technology to to provide uh, a lot of relief that would otherwise have taken longer no argument about that the question is you know once companies install all these robots you know what are they going to do when when the all clear signal is given and they you can people can go back to work you know they're not going to give them back to the ma- robot manufacturers you know those jobs no. that have been replaced are going to be gone
1: Yes. Uh, And that's the thing about technology. Well, you you, don't forget what you've learned how to do.
2: And if you take the long view, as as Scott does, and as I have uh, from time to time, the long view is that technology ends up creating more jobs than it displaces. And I think that's probably right. But there's a lag. Uh, and when you have a pandemic like we do right now, you know, normally we're talking about a technology curve that is, you know, has been getting more, much, much faster over the years compared to 100 years ago. But it's still, you know, there's still an element of, of uh, normality to the whole thing. Now you have a, a crisis where unemployment is going to approach 20 percent, I suspect. Uh, and then, uh, you know, this is, people are going to be hoping for a V-shaped recovery you know, where we get back to normal very quickly. And I think we're going to see a, a much longer trough of that, a, a U-shaped recovery, hopefully not an L-shaped recovery. And part of the problem is going to be that, you know, companies will be up and running with robots and uh, the people that were laid off are not going to be rehired. And when you've got a whole lot of them, because everybody's laid off, I think it creates a much larger social problem than you do with the, the normal pace of technological change.
1: Well, look, I, th- I don't disagree with Bill totally. Other than what I do see is that I think the the additional productivity and safety benefits from automation will be in this particular recovery likely offset by more inefficiencies introduced for safety. All right, so right at the moment, uh, everyone's advertising contactless delivery. Uh, that's not as efficient a way to to, to deliver retail food stocks. Uh, so there are there going to be some things that consumers will demand following, you know, when, when, when restaurants get back open again, that will be less efficient in, in operation of, say, a restaurant or any food service delivery. And yet, if you've automated some parts, you're going to give the, you're, you're going to have some more efficient, inefficient, uh, uh, processes that are, that are now in consumer demand. And maybe it'll all wash out. So, but I, I don't think it's going to be a, a horrific, uh, uh, contributor to, uh, to unemployment in the future. The key is we got a lot to learn, and, and it's a very fast-changing situation.
0: So we're not in danger of the robots taking over anytime soon?
1: Uh,
0: not this week. Okay. Well, this is the part of the podcast where if you don't want to hear any bad news, you should probably click off. So I want to just get to this this part quick as and, and just lay it out there. The WTO said last week that the global trade collapse could be the worst in a generation. And then this week, the IMF said this recession, we're going to be in a global recession and likely the worst since uh, the Great Depression. Guys, lay it out for me. What do you think of these two things?
1: Well, look, they're probably right. But the, the, the main driver right now of, of the decline in global trade flows is the decline in demand, right? they yeah. just... You, we've to- look at the, look at transportation, look at tourism and and movement of people. But then there's goods. When when a plane lands full of people, there are a bunch of goods in the belly of the plane, like cut flowers and fresh produce, things like that, often internationally delivered. Those those, those are disrupted. But demand has has just collapsed. You can see it most most evidently in the energy markets. So uh, we're we're uh, we're now basically. Well, while, while the, the, the benchmark price of a barrel of oil is around $20 this morning, uh, the, the producers, uh, are talking about basically negative pricing where, where there's so little demand at, in the spot market that you can actually be paying people to take it off your hands just to get it, get it moving again. Uh, so, so it's a wild time, but it's, it's one of these things that we shouldn't be surprised by it. And it doesn't mean trade is all of a sudden a bad thing. It just means, there's generally no demand at the moment. The demand comes back when consumer activity uh, gets gets back uh, into in something closer to a normal level. Yeah, I I don't have a lot to add. I thought I think Scott's right.
2: Uh, I would just say that at the the webinar I referred to that I did this morning, I, my my partner in crime there was an economist, and he commented in passing that he thought the uh, the IMF projection for, for next year was optimistic. And that he said, if you if you look down into their numbers, they're assuming Japan's going to grow at the rate of four percent. You know, Japan hasn't grown at the rate of four percent for thirty years. He thinks they're they're it, it's going to be not nearly as good as they say, and their pro- projection is pretty bleak.
0: Yeah, they said global GDP
2: is going to shrink by three percent. Yeah, year. well, and he was more talking about uh, how quickly and how far reaching the recovery will be. Uh, I think the danger, and and we've talked about this before, is the fact that it's it's going to be rolling and not a single event. It's not like an earthquake and and you move on, you know. We didn't all get sick at the same time and we're not all going to get well at the same time. And you know, what we haven't really really begun to see yet is this wave hit Africa and Latin America except for Peru where which seems to be in a difficult position. And I think you're going to see this rolling uh, all the way through the world and from a supply chain perspective, you know, it it's uh, it's nice that the Chinese are going to be back up and running. I think the statistic I saw was that they've they've uh, I never know whether to believe their numbers, but they've said that their factories are at, like running at like 85% or back to uh back to operation. Uh that's fine, but if there's nobody here to receive the stuff, there's nobody here to buy the stuff, uh and if you don't have a transportation network uh, prepared to ship it, it doesn't matter uh that they've recovered. Uh, you know you're going to have to wait for the you know the the weakest link in the, or the slowest link in the supply chain, if
0: you will. Which again, I think leads you to a U shape rather than a V shape recovery. Guys, this has been insightful, positive at times, fascinating, funny, and really enjoyable talking to you. And uh, I can't wait to see you guys again in person as soon as we can get back in the office. We don't know when that'll be, but. Um, we, uh, we're doing our best to stay social distance. We're doing our best to support our local businesses and get takeout and, and all the things that we need to do. So stay well, stay safe, and uh, we'll see you next
1: week. Thank you. Fair enough. To our listeners,
0: if you have a question for the Trade Guys, write us at tradeguys at csis.org. That's tradeguys at csis.org. We'll read some of your emails and have the Trade Guys react to it. We're also now on Spotify, so you can find us there when you're listening to The Rolling Stones or you're listening to Tom Petty or whatever you're listening to. Thank you, Trade Guys. Thank Thank you. You've been listening to The Trade Guys, a CSIS podcast.